1: The game, Simulcast on Stadium, 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. If you would like to get in, lots to talk about. Um, uh, you know, the things keep happening in the NBA, and depending on who you're a fan of, it, it's, it's not good. Uh, you've got... I thought I heard a little bit of the last hour on the way in, and it, I, I I think that I don't know. Are we still calling him rugby on this station? I don't know. I think rugby is um a little too optimistic. And look, I was optimistic when we started doing Nick on our weekly Friday Pelicans report, but um, I don't know. Last night. Oof,
2: Wait, you thought I did sound optimistic?
1: I thought you sounded more optimistic than I thought.
2: I said a record highest ever concern level I've ever gotten. Now there's only been two. But uh, I was pretty you no, know, I I didn't think that was optimistic for I, me. I thought I you know.
1: were pretty optimistic.
2: I mean, I'm look, I'm never it's just not kind of I you know me I, or you're getting to know me from an analytical perspective. I'm never going to scream the sky's falling until it's falling. But no, I'm not very optimistic. I mean, I think it's getting pretty dire here. I mean, it's and it's. Last
1: night was just not good. I mean, it's just a game you have to win when you're playing a mediocre to bad team at home.
2: Yeah, and you, you talk gotta about, win. you talk about a good team. That's a game that a good team doesn't lose. You yeah, know, you just, when you needed you just it, and then we had that. these. Oh man, don't get me started. We had this sense of urgency thing come out that the Pelicans talked about. They felt a. Sense of urgency. They were ready to go. It sounded just like the Dennis Allen stuff. Yeah, that 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 was that's just stupid. and they they talk about sense of urgency and then they come out and lose to the Orlando Magic on their home floor.
1: Yeah, that that was that was really bad. And then since yesterday, um the Lakers got the bad news about LeBron. So man, if I'm the Portland Trailblazers, I'm feeling pretty good right now. The Pelicans are falling apart. And the Lakers now have LeBron out for weeks, they're claiming. Who knows how long that's going
2: to be. I think the real winner is actually Utah. I think Utah's the team that's going to be able to win enough games to stay in, whereas, you know, they looked like they were going to be the most likely candidate to fall out for a team like the Lakers or a team like Portland. I think Utah now sits there and goes, well, New Orleans isn't doing much. The Lakers are going to be in trouble for a couple of weeks, most likely, and Portland while they're playing better right now, I don't know if it's sustainable. So Utah is probably sitting there going, "Man, we traded away everything, got all these assets and draft picks back, and we're still are going to make the play-in tournament."
1: It's it's very possible. No, they. Meanwhile, you got teams like the Bucks, who people rarely talk about, and they're just. I mean, obviously the Knicks had a great win last night, uh, and they're on fire, but. Um, the Bucks just win every game. They just keep winning and winning, and uh, I think it's um I think it's cool. I got I, I've never had any issues rooting for the Bucks, so I kind of I kind of it wouldn't bother me at all if they won it all. In fact, of all the teams that are theoretically other than the whole uh, the whole Denver Nuggets negative, you know elitist stuff that we've talked about, it would you know I wouldn't have any problems if the Denver Nuggets won it all, but you know. I, I would love if the Nuggets played the Bucks in the finals.
2: Yeah, well, you know, and the funny thing is, like, which I never, you know what was crazy to me is a few years ago when Phoenix played Milwaukee in the finals and everyone freaked out like this is this terrible thing because there's no big mark. I don't know why the NBA more than anything, I mean, it happens in baseball too, not as much. And in football, it really doesn't happen nearly as much. Is this, like, market elitist stuff, kind of what you're talking about, where people were like, this is terrible that the Bucs is playing the Sun," And then I thought it was a great series. Like, I really... I mean you know it was back and forth it ended up being 4-2 you didn't get a game 7 but I thought it was a great entertaining series that I was interested in. So yeah no it would be funny to see Denver and and that's but then again that's the kind it's of Americans
1: thing that, are told what to think in the sports world and yeah, they believe well, what people tell them to believe. Yeah. Well that, it's that, our that's job just, to yeah. to tell them the other uh, side. Yeah, I constantly try to say the other side. Uh no absolutely. All right so um We're going to be talking with Coach Marlin, and so we'll be doing plenty of Cajun basketball talk later in this hour and some softball talk. Had a wacky softball game last night. You know, I guess it kind of depends on what you're looking for. If you were looking for the game to be as quick as it could be, then it didn't work out that way. The story for me writing the game story for the advocate turned out much better the way it turned out because it made the storyline juicier. Yeah, uh, it was just a crazy uh, night for Alexa Langoliers. So it was um, it was a win over an SEC team. You know, we'll we'll, we'll get more into the details, but I I want to we haven't talked about it yesterday as much as we did at certain times last week. Nothing really happened over the weekend, but we've been having this consistent narrative about trying to figure out the NFL's quarterback situation, especially since the Saints are kind of in the middle of all of that. And there's something that over the weekend, I don't know that we've heard enough – it hit me that I don't know that we've heard enough or had enough discussion or heard enough discussion – on 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 how in terms of trying to speculate how things are going to play out on when is this Lamar Jackson thing going to happen? Because the Jets, I mean, everything's about Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers. But what about Lamar Jackson? I mean, they might have to wait out, figure out what they're going to do with Lamar Jackson as well. Like they, I don't know that they can. They're just, you know, it seems like that's two situations they're going to have to either do or find out that they're not going to do before they do the Derek Carr scenario.
2: Yeah, well, that's where, you know, I think I guess a lot of this is getting held up by the beginning of free agency. But we did again, we expected a couple of dominoes to fall beforehand because of Derek Carr's ability to sign before if he wanted to, and then trades, of course, you know, are not necessarily tied to that free agent. Now, I guess sometimes it has to do with the money and different things that can't get settled until after that point, but I I, I expected something to have happened at this point. It's the first domino to have fallen by now, and it hasn't, so I kind of get the sense this is the calm before the storm. We could have some action heating up soon here, whether some of these guys get traded or not, but the Lamar Jackson one to me doesn't make sense. I, I don't know. It gets weird, too, because Lamar Jackson doesn't have an agent. He he you know negotiates on behalf of himself, and from everything I've heard about what that does that makes it really difficult because you know agents have the ability to take the personal side of things out a little bit right. and make it more about business and so now I wonder if this has gotten personal on on one side or the other where this is like you know I mean it makes the most sense for him to return does it not I mean what would it it wouldn't be in the raven the Ravens saw how much they struggled with Huntley yeah they almost beat the Bengals in a playoff game but they they limped towards the playoffs and that offense was clearly not as dynamic, to me it makes sense for him to come back. And for Lamar Jackson's perspective, I get he wants the guaranteed money, but he's kind of asking for an unprecedented deal. And
1: Well, it, it depends if you believe the report that came out over the weekend that supposedly he reached out to um, Stephen A. Smith
2: and said that that's not true. Right. Well, that's the other thing, too. I, I've seen him deny almost everything that's come out. So... I don't know, maybe maybe they get it done, but to me, I I was, you know, and we, we were talking about the Falcons thing for a while, but I never thought it made sense for him to go elsewhere. Aaron Rodgers, I, you know, it makes sense for him to go elsewhere. Derek Hart obviously made sense for the Raiders and him to part way. Every other kind of, you know, big domino would make sense. For me, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens seem like they're made, like they're both of their best options would be to be reunited with each other, yet one side or the other isn't budging here, at least for now, and we're kind of... Now we're starting to heat up the rumors again. I wonder but what's if that's the just... realistic
1: timetable on
2: that. Like I don't I mean, well, when free agency happens and these other dominoes start falling, they're going to have to make a decision, obviously. So I think that's again, I, I still think everything kind of hinges on the first guy to go will, cha- will, will set everything in motion. I think the first domino that falls, now, if it's Derek Carr before free agency, well then maybe some things have to wait till that opens up. That period opens up. But I think once one falls, I think another one will, will fall right after. So I feel a little better, like most Saints fans
1: feel real good about the Derek Carr situation he was visiting. But again, a lot of that is just fool's gold because you're hearing the positive, oh, he had a great visit and he stayed there for X number of hours and all that kind of stuff. You know, um, and then, you know, Sean Payton spent all day with Arizona and it didn't end up meaning anything. So... But I, I feel a little better, you know, because I, I don't know that the, I think the Jets have got a lot of things to check before they do before they would, uh, you know, pull the trigger on Derek Carr. And that's assuming Derek Carr pulls the trigger on going to New York, period. So I don't know that that um there, is, there has been no real news other than if this Stephen A. Smith report is accurate, that. He really isn't demanding a fully guaranteed contract, like so many of the reports claim that he's um, he's managing. I I don't, I don't know. All right, let's go to the to the game hotline. Hello.
3: Well, good morning, Kevin.
1: Good morning, sir.
3: Hey, Kevin. Well, we see how these things evolve. Think back to a a month ago. When we were talking, and everybody was talking, man, would you would you give Derek Carr twenty five million? Would you let him get up to thirty million, Kevin? You see, you see the evolution of these things. You know how much money that dude's gonna get. He is going to probably get Kevin forty million dollars. Do you know what position this guy is in? I mean, he's in the catbird seat. He doesn't have to do anything. He's just gotta let all the cards all where they make and then say, "Okay, I'm number two. I mean, that's we're taking Lamar Jackson out of the equation. If Lamar Jackson stays, is tagged or whatever, I'm number two. You just, you know, or I'm the best free agent. You don't think I'm solid for
4: thirty million
3: dollars? Y'all living, we y'all living in la la land. This cat is gonna get. They back up the truck. Somebody's backing up the truck. And I don't think it's gonna be the Saints. I not I mean, of course. Like you said earlier, the whole thing last year, we did, you know, the people didn't think the Saints were in position and they were offering all this money to Deshaun Watson.
1: But but, but the one, uh, one some the some one thing team. you have to the one thing you have to keep in mind, Manny, a lot of these or not a lot, but some of these teams that need a quarterback are gonna draft one.
5: Yeah, yeah,
3: uh, yeah, I know. And, and some of them, you know, are, are, are up earlier in the draft. But, man, I, oh, and, I, and I keep on. You know, the whole Lamar Jackson thing is is very intriguing because I heard this the other day over the weekend. I was listening to 1037. It's one of the national shows. You know, and listen, I think Lamar Jackson's a great player. I do. but But what is everybody basing – this on, you know, he had the MVP season and then what, you know, injury injury. So, you know, this guy was pointing out, uh, is that an outlier? Are you giving him, you know, 150 million, 200 million dollars guarantee? I mean, you know, so I thought that was a very valid point uh, also about Lamar Jackson. So, yeah, I, I think it's a slow play for Derek Carr. I mean, it, it for me, I just think he's just slow playing it to give himself the most leverage. So, uh, man, I'm. Worried. <laughs> I'm worried a lot of guy. people,
1: though, a lot of people though, think that the minute free agent starts, his leverage goes down.
3: Uh, I mean, I, I've heard both sides of the coin. So, I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know, and I'm. I mean, I know by now, he knows everybody's who's interested and what they are offering. I mean, so you know. And listen, back to the Lamar Jackson thing, it like 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 Dawson said that takes an agent is going to come and say, "Hey, look, cat, you can't get this. You're not going to get this. This is what you're going to get. This is what I can tell you. This is the best you're going to get." Now, is his mother going to say that to him? You know. So, I mean, that's a very, very peculiar piece to the whole thing, Lamar Jackson's lack of agent. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's it's a nerve-wracking to say the least, of course, for us Saints fans, but we'll see what happens. All right, guys, y'all have a good one.
1: Fittingly, they played Tom Petty the waiting last night because I was like, oh, it is, Bo, is that ever true? Is that ever true? All right, we'll take a timeout and be back.
0: This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: The game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. If you would like to get in, uh Cajun Baseball tonight at McNeese, 6 o'clock. Usually a good game. Wouldn't would not be surprised at all if that's not a good game as it normally is. LSU tonight is playing at Texas. Kind of Texas is one of the few teams that kind of owns LSU baseball. Uh, you know, they, I don't even know how long that list is, but it's not a very long list. And uh, Texas has always kind of had LSU's number in baseball. They've beaten them recently. They, uh, you know, a lot of that goes back to the '70s and stuff. But, but I mean, they've they've dominated the overall the all time series, and they've beaten them recently. But LSU is obviously on top of the baseball world right now, and LSU and Texas kind of struggling early on. They're three and four. They never really hit the ball. I guess at times they've had good hitting teams. It seems like they're always an old school National League team, Texas. Like they they don't they don't hit the ball a lot and or hit for a lot of power and normally pitch really well. Um. You know they've lost to some good teams like Vanderbilt and and such, so it's not like they they've got bad losses, but they're not off to a good start record wise. But again they they've kinda, they kind of they kind of always seem to do pretty well when they play LSU. So that that'll be an interesting game. Um, that's a what they're doing the kind of a wraparound thing is a, is a big trend in softball. The Cajuns did it. Uh, at Central Florida last week, and they did another version of that with Ole Miss, with Ole Miss doing doing it last night, leaving one tournament, going to another. So kind of interesting that it's in the baseball world. So that, that'll be an interesting matchup just to see if Texas continues to play well or are they really going to have a rough year for that program off to kind of a mediocre start. We'll see how that plays out. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hello, Kevin. Howdy, sir.
4: Yeah, I don't understand all this talk about Saints quarterback. Jameis Winston is still under contract, and um, I, I wouldn't have any problem with him going in as your starter and Taysom Hill as the backup. And, and then when you could take that $40 million, you were going to spend on Derek Carr and um, use it for free agencies.
1: Well, I'd be all for that. I was all for that last year, but it didn't happen. And, and and obviously, they don't have a very working relationship between Dennis Allen and Jameis Winston. So it, him being under contract is only a matter of time. He's not going to be with the Saints next year. So, and, but look, I'm not saying I disagree with what you're saying. I'm I'm still upset and frustrated that he never uh, got a chance last year. Now, you know, might say injuries, but it just seemed like they wanted no part. Of Jameis Winston, although, but again, why did they go through the whole charade and the whole offseason he was going to be the starter? I still don't get some of that. Uh, I think Dennis Allen panicked early on because they were turning over the ball at the, high, the at an alarming rate, and in his mind, putting Jameis as the star, an injured Jameis Winston as a starter was not the cure to, to avoiding turnovers, I guess. So uh, he went a different route. But no, I, I think Jameis is done in New Orleans now. I think he'll get a chance to be a backup somewhere, but I don't think it's going to be in New Orleans.
4: Okay, thank you.
1: Thank you. No. Um, again, I wouldn't be against it. I, I I was all for Jameis, and I I wanted nope. I still don't want any part of crawfish, but I kind of get what they did last year, except for the fact that. I, we will always now look. If Jameis goes on and never does anything with any other team, and his career is basically over, then we, there it'll be really easy in our minds, th- those of us who wanted Jameis to to see what he could do. Um, it'll be really easy to say, well, he just whatever. He's in, he's beat up. He's just he was done. Uh but but if he has any success anywhere else, it's going to be very frustrating.
2: Yeah, well and part of the reason that, that his name is popping back up is I don't know if you saw he made some comments over the weekend. He was basically asked about his future and he said, you know, about which team he was looking at and this and then and he said, Well, I'm still under contract with the Saints for a year. But I mean I think that was more of a you know Yeah, that that was more of a um, you know that's what he has to say because he technically is under contract. Right. But now maybe that maybe that somewhat brings in the possibility that the Saints have been talking with him about bringing him back I yeah like you I can't really see that happening the way it ended last year the way he never was given a chance now if if there were private conversations that were had already with him the other thing too is if they were doing if they were having those conversations then they probably wouldn't have made this big public push for Derek Carr so with with guys like Cam Jordan tweeting about how much he wanted Derek Carr you know so I really can't see that I guess it's it's possible if the Saints Strike out on the free agent market? Would they go back to him, and then would he want to do that? Maybe if he didn't have any other options, I guess it's possible. But it would be uh, it would be very surprising if he returned. It, it it seems like it seems like the Saints' options are even more limited than I than you originally. Now Carson Wentz got thrown out there today. That's oh. that's another one too. Like that's I mean you talk about a guy now who hasn't been healthy or played well in the last three four years of his career. So no. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's a no for me. But that's a name that's going to get floated, and that's, you know, another kind of um, QB to throw into the the big pit of quarterback despair that's going to be available in the free agent market behind the first few guys that go. So,
1: You know, and there are a lot of people out there that just, you know, Jameis Winston's terrible. He's always going to be – and maybe he will. Maybe he's the, – the one thing about Jameis is, and we commented last year, he – He's not even thirty yet, and he walks like an old man. Like he walks like he's forty-five years old. Like, and I guess his injuries have have kind of led him to that. But man, he just looks so old when he walks.
2: Yeah, but is he just goofy though? Because like, Patrick Mahomes walks pretty funny too. But I don't know. I don't know if that. I don't know if that's it. Yeah, it it Patrick Mahomes is a different kind of
1: funny the way he walks. But
2: yeah, um, I I don't know.
1: It's um. Look, uh, the Geno Smith thing, is, is for those who just hated Jam- Jameis from the beginning and the whole idea of it, the Geno, you know, those same people probably thought nothing about Geno Smith, too. And he went to a new team, and he had a really good year and is about to make a lot of money because of it. So, I, you know, I, I, again, we ca- talked about it last week. The, the most obvious person that could be the next Geno Smith is Jameis, assuming he's healthy. And I don't think that's going to be in New Orleans. So if he goes and has success elsewhere, I'm going to be very angry about that. That's just going to be something that I'm going to have trouble rectifying because, in my opinion, he still has not played one evaluatable game with the Saints. And so it's not a – that that that's going to be frustrating. I mean, it is what it is, especially if you're sitting there with crawfish as your starting quarterback next year. And you know what? We keep saying that, but he's he's a free agent. Like – I mean, theoretically, they have a good relationship, and it wouldn't take that much to sign him again if
2: you really wanted to do that. But, you know, theoretically, he is. I would love to see, like, a, a GM or a front office's big board of these free agent quarterbacks right now and see how they'd rank them. Like, where would – because is, is anyone going to be in line for Andy Dalton, though? So I wouldn't guess as well, a Well, as a unless backup. Was, yeah, I was yeah. going to say the only – the only situation I could see him going as a starter would be like somewhere like Houston who's going to take a quarterback and maybe wouldn't want to throw him out week one. And and they might throw their, the quarterback that they take out week one. But that's like the only scenario I could see him being a starter anywhere other than New Orleans who apparently think that he's a great quarterback.
1: Well, I think they think he's a quarterback that's not going to turn it over a lot.
2: Yeah, no, and I get that they're right about some of their opinions on him. And it made sense to bring him in when they did. But I think it would be a pretty big failure of, of the front office to go into the Next season with him as their starter, and I think they probably would agree with that. Like they, there's a situation where they do it, but they probably be there you know, it wouldn't be their first option. They would probably be pretty disappointed that it led to that.
1: Again, I, I I will remind all of us for many different reasons. They made a huge push to get Deshaun Watson. I think so. A lot of us, when we talk about the Saints, we talk about the financial situation, and we talk about the salary cap, and we talk about their opinion on quarterbacks. I just keep reminding myself and y'all that 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 they made a huge push to get Deshaun Watson. So um, I, I don't know that it it, it is it is a it, you know. But again, not only crawfish like Marcus Mariota, that guy's gonna be a backup quarterback. Carson Wentz, that guy's gonna be a backup quarterback. I just can't believe any of these guys are gonna get signed as starting quarterbacks. Um wouldn't shock me at all if, if the Arnold signed Carson Wentz as the backup quarterback and just see what happens. Um it is um it it's gonna be a like like I said yesterday, the waiting is just it's it's just it's just killing me. But we don't have much options right now. Let's take a timeout, we'll be back.
0: This is footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game, Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Welcome back to Footnotes. We have with us UL men's basketball coach, Bob Marlin. How are you, sir?
6: I'm doing great, Kevin. How are you today?
1: Pretty good. Looking looking at this uh, Sunbelt Conference tournament bracket, things get underway on, on the men's side tonight in Pensacola, the Pensacola Bay Center, 5 o'clock, Coastal Carolina <laughs> and Arkansas State and then Texas State and Georgia State. And then on Thursday, Georgia Southern plays ULM, and that's the team that you play the winner of. What do you think of that matchup?
6: Well, it's interesting because the last time we played Georgia Southern, we were down 19 at halftime and won the game. And the last time we played Monroe, we were up 31 at halftime and won the game. So two totally different games. Uh, We were more familiar with Monroe. We played them, but we're also familiar with Georgia Southern as – Casey Perrin worked with Brian Berg at Texas Tech, and we we know what they're about as well. And both have capable teams.
1: You know, it's interesting. We talk about matchups all the time, but it also has to do with, like, where teams are right now. For instance, Monroe, back in January, went to Statesboro and beat Georgia Southern by 13 points. And yet, right now, they've lost seven in a row. Now, their last, you know, the, uh, last week, they lost an overtime game to Troy. So it wasn't like they weren't, they're, you know, weren't uncompetitive in those seven. But uh, is attrition getting to Monroe or what do you kind of how do you kind of see where they are right now?
6: Well, they're certainly capable, Kevin. You said they went and beat Georgia Southern. They made a ton of shots uh, and from three. And then they went to Marshall and Blackman, an all-conference player, that 35. Uh, they beat Arkansas State early in the year, made twelve threes. threes. And that's something that we limited them in was the three-point shooting. That's their strength. Their two guards, LaCour and Blackman, are very good. Thomas Howell's good inside. Uh, but they, they've got a good group, and – and uh, we'll have to be play, ready to play the team.
1: All right, Nick Cages will play the winner of that that game on Saturday at seven thirty. Has it ever made a difference to you in all the years you've done this, whether you played like the early in the day or late in the day, or is that just all of that just totally irrelevant?
6: No, I think I think you have to go with the schedule. You can't control that. Uh, you like to play earlier in the day sometimes, you know. But we're going to be the night game every night. At least we'll be consistent, Kevin, in our approach, and that's very important to our success.
1: All right. So last Friday night was, um, you know, just a, you know the Marshall game. A lot of people are going to remember. It was a fun night, and you played tremendous. and And let's uh, pass Friday. You know, it was on national T V. It meant a lot to the team and, and you were still going into the day playing for a conference championship and and played tremendous. I, I don't obviously we all know what he did at the free throw line, but but the the offensive performance that Jordan Brown put on, that was that was pretty special what he did that night.
6: No, going against the Defensive Player of the Year in Kevin Samuel. He gets goes thirteen or fifteen and uh, had had a great basketball game. Didn't shoot the three or the free throws as well, like you said. But he's had games where he's been nine for ten, nine for eleven. So he'll get that corrected and take that to the conference tournament.
1: So is there the the only thing that I mean? I, you know, if I if someone was going to ask me, like, what are your concerns going in? I mean. You're always concerned, like you said, the other team's going to come out. And Georgia Southern wasn't even a, was considered like an elite three-point shooting team. But in the first half in the Cajun Dome, they look like an elite three-point shooting team. So you never know when a team's just going to start bombing threes and, and 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 just have a great shooting night. But, but the only other thing about your team right now is maybe like – there were times during the year where I thought the scoring was a little maybe a little more consistent than it is right now. Are you concerned at all about that or or are you not worried about scoring distribution?
6: No, we're not worried about scoring distribution. We've got guys that Jordan Brown scored the ball all year. Greg Williams had an uncharacteristic game shooting the ball Friday night against South Alabama but really contributed and helped us win that game. And We're not worried about the the, the points necessarily Kevin we have shot the ball all well all year I think we're in the top 30 in four offensive categories in the country including field goal percentage and our three-point percentage was up to number two two weeks ago in the country so uh, we, we can spread it around and different guys can score it and we're, we're looking forward to going and playing
1: you know, I guess you could argue at times the defense has been up and down, but it seems like when y'all have what y'all would consider like a big game, the defense has showed up in most of those games. Not all of them, but most. Like I thought y'all played defense really really good the other night and and in that Marshall game we talked about, South, the Southern Miss game perhaps, but uh where do you feel like y'all are defensively
6: right now? We're in a good place. We're getting better. And I thought I agree with you, Kevin. I think we have played really good defense in the first half of almost all of our games. Second half, I don't know if for whatever reason we've hit a law, but I thought we corrected that against South Alabama the other night. Had a very strong defensive game. We didn't make a lot of three-point shots, but we eliminated those guys from making three-point shots, and they'd come in having won eight of nine games. So they were they were red hot.
1: You know, at different times, you know, conference tournaments stay in the same spot and other times over the years, you know, you, you play at different sites and all. But the fact that y'all had success there last year, making the finals uh, as an eight seed and then now going back to that same familiar building where you had some good experiences and uh, th- 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 does that kind of give you a comfort level and a confidence that could help this weekend?
6: Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, the the- Comfortable part is very important. And the term, this will be the third year it's been in Pensacola. The first year we get beat by Georgia State in the semis. Last year we get beat by Georgia State in the championship game. So the natural progression is to go finish the job. And that's what our guys are committed to do all year.
1: You know, obviously. You know, we we, we critique brackets and say this is a good bracket and that's a bad bracket, and it's all based on, like you always remind us, on matchups. Obviously, you know, all your focus right now is on whoever wins the Georgia Southern ULM game, but you're in a bracket with a three-seed in Marshall who's very dangerous, and, you know, I know a lot of people around these parts may disagree, but they got the um, Conference Player of the Year announced yesterday, and then you got an old Dominion team that you played way back around the New Year's time, and they they can defend, and they just beat Marshall, so they're they're a pretty dangerous number two seed, I would think as well. I mean, six seed as well.
6: No, there's going to be some great games this weekend, and um, we beat Marshall here in a game which Jordan Brown had 26 points and 20 rebounds on senior night. Uh, to add to the discussion about the player of the year. Also, Jordan Brown received the most votes of any all-conference player. Uh, and Kinsey is third in the nation in minutes. He plays five more minutes per game than Jordan Brown. So, and remember Jordan the other night, 13 of 15, Kevin, he did that in 30 minutes of play. You know, he, he, he asked to come out a couple times and rest. So, anyway, Marshall's got a good group. And we're looking forward to playing anybody that we're going to have to play good basketball to win. And there are three or four teams I think that are better than the others in this league. And I think it showed
1: um, a lot, you know, South Alabama, we made a lot of it and I, I kind of mentioned it all year. I, I still thought they were a little bit of a scary team. I thought y'all played very well against them last Friday, but, but, but as an eight seed, uh, you know, the eight seed last year made the conference tournament finals. How do you feel like their matchups are against the James Madisons and Southern Misses of the world in that side of the bracket?
6: Yeah, talking about Southern Miss.
1: No, talking about South yeah. Alabama's matchup South- against the yeah, better. Yeah,
6: South Alabama, yeah, I'm sorry. They, they've got a really good matchup with App State. Uh, Kevin, that first game, that should be an excellent game and be the best first-round game. And Southern Miss will get the winner of that one. And they just beat Southern Miss by 31 a week ago in Mobile. So you said they're dangerous, and, and they, they certainly are capable. And if they do that, those things, they'll wind up in the championship game if they can get by James Madison or Southern Miss.
1: Now, Troy and James Madison seems like you know Troy can defend. They got you know they they know how to play a little physical. How do you see that matchup if it happens? Oh, Obviously, it's got to happen yeah. first.
6: Yeah. Yeah, Troy, Troy versus who, Kevin? James course. Madison. Yeah, they're they're both good. In fact, they had an overtime game at, that James Madison won in Troy uh, earlier in the year. It was a heck of a game and a heck of a finish. So uh, those two teams are, are definitely dangerous. Troy finished fifth in the league, and you know they beat us over at their place. we beat them seventeen out of nineteen times, and they they beat us over there and then they finish fifth in the league so uh they, there's some dangerous teams the middle teams are dangerous as well
1: the bottom line is it really should be a fun tournament and again it all kicks off tonight with the with the first round matchups uh and you the cages will be playing at 7 30 you made a comment earlier this week that you know and i remember when you said it last year when it happened that there was really a resolve to try to get back and y'all have had a very nice season and, and now kind of, this is the moment. I mean, this is the moment to, to do what y'all been
6: wanting to do all year. Yeah. Isn't that something, Kevin, that you, you play a conference season for nine weeks and that comes down to, to three days yeah. and, and for, for the big prize. And it's something that we worked hard for and we're, we're ready to, go to Pensacola and, and try to cut the nets down. That's, that's been the goal all year and I'm really proud of our team. We've been connected all year. Uh, different guys have stepped up. We've got guys that can play more minutes, but they're all about the team. So, we uh, are excited about the opportunity and hope we have a great crowd. It's a, a great venue. I'm sure Southern Mess and some of the other schools are going to bring people. So, it should be the best tournament we've had in a long, long time.
1: I agree. Well, we appreciate your time, Coach, and good luck to y'all. Thanks, Kevin.
6: This
0: is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Z28. Z28. Now, a running back with great speed and start-and-go ability, like a Chevy Camaro that plays for the New Orleans Saints, also known as Alvin Camara. Now, back to the man with his very own language, Kevin Foot and Footnotes.
1: welcome back to put those kevin foot on the game 706-0111, 706-0-1-1-1. and um we talked a lot about the sunbelt conference tournament with coach marlin and he didn't seem to be worried about the cages ability uh i mentioned i used the term scoring distribution and Obviously, you expect Greg Williams to score, even though in two of the recent four or five games, he, he didn't have good scoring games, uh, which is had last year, for most of the year, was commonplace. was not commonplace at all this year. Greg had a tremendous season and a, for a while there was playing at a higher level than Jordan there for a stretch in the middle of conference play, I thought. But, um, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week. Kobe still is not kind of where, you know, some games he does some things, some nice, has some nice stretches, other games he doesn't do anything. I guess that's the life of coming off the bench for the most part. But I don't know that you can say, well, you kind of know what to expect there. And and I guess you know what to expect with Kentrell Garnett. In that he's going to play good defense, he's not going to take a lot of bad shots, and if he ever gets to the free-throw line, he's probably going to make it, but he, he's not, he, he has games where he doesn't even shoot the ball like but zero or one time. Yeah. And so I, I'm just worried about the other guys are going to have to be able to score some, I would think.
2: It's been really interesting because Garnett, the way that they have used him and the way he's been defended has like completely changed throughout the year, and— It's not like he wasn't a great three-point shooter last year. So my my thing is, like, did defenses and and opposing teams, and maybe it has something to do with conference play, opponents that kind of knew the Cajuns better is when he started to struggle. But, I mean, even at the beginning of conference play, he was still, I mean, he was filling it up. And, And
1: again, I don't think he, it's not like he's shooting terrible. No, he's just
2: not shooting. And he doesn't take bad shots. But, again, as we talked about, he doesn't even really take contested shots, and he's not great when he does take them. But, yeah, they haven't – it hasn't felt like they've made that a point of emphasis at all, really. And you wonder, too, when they struggled so much to shoot the three against South Alabama and, you know, in some of those road games, maybe he becomes a guy they try to find some open looks for. You see him draw up a couple of looks for him, but not nearly as much as they were at the beginning of the year. And also it felt like a lot of times at the beginning of the year when they were collapsing on Jordan, they'd find Kentrell wide open, making the extra pass and things like that. But they have to shoot the ball better than they did against South Al – in, if they're going to win this tournament, they have to. They're not going to be able to go out. Well, rely on look, Jordan there's going to be games.
1: Game. L- let's say they play more than one game. I mean, which has been their theme. Like they do that almost every year. You know, now they rarely win more than one. But since Coach Marlin's been there, I'd have to go back and look it up. But there's not more than like one or t- one one or two times that they haven't won at least one game.
2: I think it's only once. It was the South Alabama game that he referenced the other day. Cedric Russell missed a three at the buzzer. I think it's the only time they didn't win a game in the tournament.
1: So, uh, so they normally. But if they make any kind of a run in this tournament, there's probably going to be a game where they shoot it really well, and a game or two where they don't shoot it really well, and they have to win with either defense or free throw shooting or or whatever. So, um, no, that you know the other thing that's an interesting for me while we're talking Cajun basketball is the whole point guard scenario and like. If you listen and if you listen and try to read behind, between the lines at all, it seems like Michael Thomas has a you know confidence issue like being confident is a big thing or whether he plays well or not. And uh, he played with some confidence the other night and he played a long time in the second half. But Themis in such a when this when the when the cages are going really well it seemed like Themis is a big part of it and so it'll be interesting to see how those minutes are distributed
2: yeah we, we kind of talked about this because we were both at the game the other night like I don't know if I've ever seen a team have like so obviously the starting point guard all year long I mean Themis folks has played every meaningful minute almost of the entire season. And he just didn't play the last, like, 10 minutes of the game. And there was no, as, not that we know of. There's no injury or, you know, anything like that other than they just said they felt Mike had a really good week in practice. And they thought, you know, they talked about the ball screens and him shooting. But but Themis has shot the ball pretty well from three when he's taken him. He's another guy who only takes looks when he's open. He doesn't ever take contested. But he hasn't, like, been bad. So I thought it was a unique move. And, yeah, I will be really interested to see come the first game of the tournament if Michael Thomas is playing significant minutes down the stretch, or if you go back to Themis, which it, it was just unique. I mean, like Themis has played so well. You talk about his ability to finish on his drives. He hasn't missed a free throw in like three months. It feels like after. Remember, he was like fifty something percent. Yeah, he was struggling. And then early all of a sudden, on. he he turned that he turned that around, fixed it completely. So
1: he's kind of done the opposite of Jordan at the free throw line. Yeah. But 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 I think some teams, uh, the way some teams defend. It lends itself a little more to his drives to the basket and being in position to finish those, and other teams don't. So maybe um, that's just a matchup thing, and we'll just continue to see how how that plays out. It's kind of weird though, because you know we're talking about them going into, the but you don't really know. Now we all, most of us, think they're going to play Georgia Southern just because. Monroe seems to really be fading, and, you know, they've lost seven in a row. But, again, two game, last week they lost in overtime to Troy, so it's not like they're not capable of playing well in the game. So it'll be interesting. One hour down, another hour to follow. Stay tuned.
0: Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote.
1: Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. 706-0111. We've talked NBA awful loss last night for the Pelicans. Uh, you know, mention at least the LeBron situation and the impact that could have on the Western conference moving forward. We've talked Sunbelt conference basketball interviewed coach Marlin. And, um, you know, I, I think Dawson and I kind of both agree that the Cajuns are on the best side, although I don't know how the Cajuns would match up with old dominion if they end up playing old dominion uh, down the road. But, and I don't love the matchup with Georgia Southern other than the if if they beat uh, ULM, but other than the fact that the game's not at the Cajun Dome, because for whatever reason, they just played tremendous. Uh, won three of the last four, and the, and the one they lost was last month, and they led by 19 at the half like we referred to earlier. So... You know, again, no. It, you can maybe get what you would cons- consider a favorable matchup for one round. It's hard to win two or three games in a conference tournament, and you're not going to play a game that you very easily could lose, and certainly that's going to be the case. You know, the other thing that we can't get fooled with is the, the Marshall game. Can I get fooled by the Marshall game? Look, I agree. When you play Troy at home... You threw him a curveball and that Jordan didn't play. And I, I, while, while not playing with your best player seems like a disadvantage, it seemed to kind of work in that game. And, and, and they hand, they jumped all over Troy. And, but then when they went and played Troy in Alabama, it was a totally different story. So, you know, I think I might have gotten a little fooled by that in terms of my overall impression of Troy. And Marshall did not shoot – Marshall – I think the Cajuns played well that night, but Marshall missed a lot of very easy shots in that game. Like, a lot of very easy shots. And so because you beat Marshall and handled him does not mean you would handle him again if you played him. So I think some of us are a little fooled by that Marshall game.
2: Yeah, I've seen I've seen that sentiment from Cajun fans too that they that they feel great about the Marshall matchup. And I, I I've been kind of the opposite. I would rather play Southern Miss than Marshall in this tournament. I really would. I think Marshall, again, I keep going back to it. Andrew Taylor had seven points. And I and I know a lot of Cajun fans probably don't watch the rest of the conference, and I understand that. But well, like Andrew Taylor is a twenty-point a game scorer, and he's not even the best scorer on his own team. Tavion Kinsey is; he's the second option. And he's twenty a game, and yeah, the Cajuns shut him down. Like that's credit to them. But again, he's not going to shoot that poorly again. So if you played that team again, which you know it's not likely that it's going to be fully chalk, but if it's chalk on this side, that'll be what it is. I don't love the Cajuns. You know, I wouldn't say I don't like their chances to win the game because I think they're a good team. And but I think Marshall would be the favorite first of all, if you want to look at it from a, you know, a, a betting perspective. I think Marshall would probably be the favorite in that game. I think Marshall's probably the favorite to win the tournament in a lot of people's eyes, even though they're the three seed. I think another thing is seeding. Look, when and you'll see this in conference tournaments throughout, and of course when the NCAA tournament comes here, I think seeding matter. Like people who don't watch the conference the way that maybe I watch it. You see a number next to a team, and you kind of have – and I do it with other conferences, and it's hard to think about. you got to understand a lot of times the difference between one and four, the way it is in the Sun Belt, is like one game in conference play, maybe two at the most. So, like Marshall may be the three seed, but in my opinion, they're still the most complete team, and they're still the best team in the league overall. And,
1: and you don't think James – you wouldn't put James Madison number one as the favorite to win the tournament?
2: No, I wouldn't, just because I think they're a little bit too reliant on guard play, and I think guard play can come and go if you don't have a good shooting night. Um, now, they don't necessarily rely on the three point shot specifically, but I think Marshall is the team that has the most variety in the way they score. Another thing is look, the big man, number five, the big white man, I don't know how to pronounce his name, so I'm not going to. Um, he was terrible against UL. I mean, literally, they fouled him out, and he looked like a freshman who had no clue what was going on. He was, you know, a pretty good player the rest of the year as well. Like, there were guys in that game that did not play well. Uh, in a hostile environment but think about it from the perspective if you had only watched UL play Southern Miss on the road in Hattiesburg you probably wouldn't feel great about them as a team either and you know that's not really indicative of UL overall so that's I just don't want the perception to get lost on Marshall um, because in my opinion they're the best team in the league and I I agree with what you're saying James Madison could have an argument there but that's why again Southern Miss I think got the worst draw they could have gotten because South Alabama is playing well and it's a team that just beat the, the mess out of them a couple of weeks ago and now, I think Southern Miss will probably be pretty fired up for that game. Of course, it's a tournament. Everyone's ready to go, and I I, I would like their chances, but they got to go through them and potentially James Madison just to get to the championship game. It, it, they are the one seed, but they did not get the most favorable draw, in my opinion.
1: No, I agree. Now, the other thing that's interesting is Old Dominion just beat Marshall. And so that probably, the way I look at things – probably gives Marshall just a, a little bit of that little revenge factor there in a game. But uh, you watched most of that game, and it, neither team had any trouble scoring in that game.
2: No, yeah, and I, I thought that was a very well-played game. I thought both teams played pretty well. Marshall missed some opportunities late, and they could have won it. But, yeah, I mean, you talk about – and, again, it's, it's funny, too. We talk about motivation and things of who needs motivation. This is the conference tournament. Like, you shouldn't need it. But I think those things matter, and me and you are are on the same page on that. I think different. I think Jordan Brown not winning Sun Belt Player of the Year yesterday might give the Cajuns a little extra fire, right? Uh, if they play a team like Marshall, but Old Dominion not only beat Marshall the last game of season, they took away the regular season title because the you know Marshall would have won the title if they'd have won that game, and and yes. Marshall knew that going into the game, and Old Dominion still beat them. So I think Marshall would definitely be very fired up to play him again if that's the matchup. The other thing I'm really excited to see we. We talk about we're going to talk about it going in. I think one of these top four teams is probably going to lose in their first game. And I think the other thing is I'll be interested to see which teams of the middle of the pack lose. Like, does, does UL Monroe pull something surprising? Or does James Madison, you know, in their first game when they're playing, whether, you know, is it going to be Troy or does Troy get upset? Like there's going to be a big upset in this tournament, and I'm ready to see when it's going to be. I guess I could see Troy beating
1: James Madison just because I think it's a good matchup. I think they're they're similar type teams. Um I could certainly see South Alabama beating Southern Miss. Um and I guess I could see Old Dominion beating Marshall. Like so I kinda agree with you. I think the Cajuns have the best chance if they play like they about like they normally play of avoiding that first round upset.
2: And I think, you know, that's another thing that I agree with you on when it comes to a tournament like this. I think all you can really ask for is maybe a favorable draw in your first game, because your first game is also the first game of the tournament's always kind of a question of who's gonna come out ready to play, who's gonna have to adjust to the environment, the Pensacola situation where you're you're gonna be away from home for a while. And then the second game of the, but by the second game of this, if you all is to win and move on, at that point, you're playing a really good either you're playing a really good team or you're playing a team that maybe wasn't that great, but is playing really well right now. So by that point, You know, all bets are off. And we saw that's what happened to UL when they, you know, Troy probably said, oh, wow, the one seed's gone. We feel pretty good. Texas State just got upset. And then UL comes and beats them right after. right? Yeah, you're either
1: playing the Braves or the Dodgers or the Punks or you're playing the Phillies.
2: Yeah. So after that first game, you better play a really good game of basketball if you want to move on in this tournament anyway. And even in the first game, obviously, with the way the conference is, we know they're still going to have to play at least relatively well to beat even Monroe.
1: No, I agree. It is um the bottom line is I think there are I think there are eight teams that go that could win this tournament. And I don't know that South Alabama's consistent enough. I think they can beat anyone, but I I, I feel pretty good saying there are eight teams that could that win the tournament. And we'll just um we'll see how it plays out. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello.
5: Hey, Steph Ellis. What's going on, y'all? Talking just what I don't want to talk about. You oh. know, Kevin. Every year I give the analogy of Lucy and Charlie Brown, and you know who Lucy is for me, right? Right. Do you think Lucy's going to let us take the ball this year?
1: No, I, I, I've, I, I mean, I think they've got just as good a chance as anyone else. I do think that there are seven or eight teams that, that are capable of winning. I, I don't, I don't know that there's a humongous difference. Coach Marlin said four teams have separated, but I, I don't know that there's a huge difference. you know, I I'd rather play Southern Miss than old Dominion. And, and and so I don't know that four teams have separated. I think it's pretty even.
5: I do, but still Kevin okay, you know, he, he, Lucy has broken our heart a lot. And you know, I go back to two thousand seventeen and it really broke our heart that year. You know, I don't I don't know if there's athletic expectations this year. You know, you usually look at 2014, Kevin. You know that was pretty lucky. You have to admit, Georgia State kicked our eyes twice that year, and then that said the game that we won in the championship team, They were kicking our ass for do. We made them a, a miraculous
1: comeback. Yeah, but look, look, the, this team all year long was the 2017 was pretty pretty explosive and consistent. But this team going into the tournament looks better than the 2017 team. They're, I agree. The, the, you know, going. I'm talking about. Going into the tournament because, you know, they had just lost to Little Rock. They had some injuries. They had some illness. And, and you know, as far as I know, none of that is the situation. So, I think this team going into the tournament, you can make a better case for than the 2017 team.
5: A little loose still holding that ball, Kevin.
1: <laughs> Can't You got to stop being so negative.
5: Uh, well, you know what? Well, if that's what it is, though. When I'm confident, I'm going to kick that ball all the time. Guess what happens? So maybe if I'm cautious and I'm not going to kick that ball, maybe I'm going to kick it to kick it. You know what I mean? That's the way I'm looking at it. I don't want to go in there with my eyes wide open. You know, maybe I need to go with my eyes wide open and not go in there and just focus and think it's going to happen. <sighs> and look, y'all, y'all want to talk a little bit about Barstow. You know, their, their guy, the one that, the one that comes for the year, uh, Kinsley, he had a good free throw shooter. Either now. I don't know if y'all know that. He shoots under 70%, believe it or not. Yeah, and, and
1: does it doesn't make goes, sense that uh, he's not a good free throw shooter. But, yeah, you're right.
5: You know, so that'd be the funny thing when we play Marshall. If was, uh, that game might be decided who makes four of their
1: free throws, Jordan Brown or Kinsey. We'll Go oh, figure that out. No, well, let's hope not. <laughs> They'll have a good one. Take care. Let's hope not. Well, again, the, 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 and look, we talk about free throws a lot on this show. And I did a, uh, uh, uh our friend Carol Ross interviewed me yesterday and she talked about how she don't like missing free throws. And I'm like, uh, me either. <laughs> I mean, I, I hate missing field goals, and I hate missing free throws.
2: Does anyone like missing free throws?
1: Uh, some people act like they don't care.
2: Yeah. Well, wow.
1: some people everything's about the quarterback. They don't they they forget about the fact that you know you could be a great you know for instance the Stroud he played a great game. Well, what happened at the end of his game in the national semifinal?
2: The guy missed the kick. Yeah, it was a long
1: but, one. But 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 if he makes the kick, well then Shroud's even higher than P- Oh, he beat Georgia. Well, most people are still saying like well, he played really well against Georgia. But it you got to make the kick. You got to make the I'm, free throw.
2: Well, and that's what you know what I what I'm thinking of too is if you're playing which again, to win this tournament, I think we all agree you're going to have to win a really close game at some point for sure. You're not going to blow three teams out. You're down one with ten seconds left. You get the ball inside. Jordan Brown. He gets fouled. Goes to the line. Down one at the free throw line. I don't. I don't feel great. No matter. I really don't feel great about that situation. But he's gonna have to knock him down. I mean, there's because that's a very realistic situation, right? If we're down one late, he's probably who we're going to, and they're probably gonna foul him. Yeah. So he's he's got to be able to knock down. You know, sixty-five to seventy percent of his free throws in this tournament, in my opinion, for them to to be able to win the whole tournament. And the thing about him
1: is, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with his shot. So I I, I we said this over and over. I still think it's got to be some sort of combination of fatigue and concentration. And I think fatigue, I think concentration is partially what is gone once you get fatigued. I I don't know. There's just nothing wrong fundamentally with his shot. So hopefully. Um, he he can he can fix that to Coach Marlin's point. He's had it games where he's made nine out of eleven and ten out of eleven. So he's capable of doing it. Hopefully, he does when he really needs to.
0: This is footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. <laughs> Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The Little MVPs. The Little MVPs. Now, a Major League Baseball team that struggles to win games despite having multiple MVP winners on its roster. Also known as the Los Angeles Angels. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote. And footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the Game. We have with us our good friend, Mr. Bobby Nova. How are you, sir? Um
7: I'm, I'm good this morning. How are you?
1: Well, we're um, you know last night's game. Some tells me you weren't totally good through all eight innings of last night's softball game against Ole Miss.
7: Well, I don't know what would make you think that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was some uh, there was some things to like about that game, and there were some things not to like. For instance, Megan Shorman. Um, You know, she continues to, you know, pitch like an ace pitcher. I think she's done very well. And has she had a few outings that weren't great? Yeah, but for the most part, she's pitched very well. I thought she really should have had a complete game shutout victory last night. Um, and then, obviously, Alexa Langleyers did a great job of, of hitting You know, she had a RBI single. She had, well, two RBI singles, although one of them would have been like a three-run double in a normal if it wasn't an extra inning situation, And then a, and then a home run. And then there was base running mistakes and throwing to the wrong base and, you know, that kind of thing.
7: Yeah, you know, Megan is, you know, she's establishing herself as, you know, the kid that's going to probably lead this pitching staff, uh, you know, for the rest of the season, and she's such a competitor, and um, you know, and then Sam Landry has, you know, looked pretty good the the last couple of times out. It's kind of, looks like she's kind of corrected those, uh, you know, early in the year, she was having trouble throwing strikes and getting behind early in the count and having trouble getting through the first inning, but uh, the last couple of outings, she's looked a lot better, and Uh, I think the the pitching staff uh, is going to be okay, and we just got to start hitting the ball a little bit better, you know, throughout the lineup.
1: You know, it's a tricky situation because I think a lot of people are starting to develop the opinion that Alexa Langoliers is more of a second baseman than a shortstop. The problem is... If Cecilia Vasquez doesn't start hitting, it's going to be harder to keep her in the lineup because you have girls like Kylie Griffin who are starting to get some at-bats, and they're hitting. So, it you know, the whole uh, trying to match up defense and offense uh, it can get tricky here.
7: Yeah, Kevin, You know, you know, sometimes it looks like he's going to go with an offensive lineup. Sometimes it looks like. He'll go with the defensive lineup. When when, Sissy, when Sissy's in the game, she'll probably play short, and Alexa will go to second. And then when Collie Griffin's at second, then Alexa, you know, when he chooses to go with an offensive lineup, uh, then Alexa will go to short. And, you know, uh, she certainly had a little boo-boo last night, but, I mean, she played there all year last year, and um, I think she can handle it. Although I'm starting to believe what you just said, that she may just be a better second baseman.
1: The other thing that is really impressive to me, and I, I don't I don't feel like Maddie Hayden is having a, you know, doing as good maybe as some of us expected offensively, but she is so – although she had a big double last night that really led to the victory uh, to left center. But she – what – as smooth as she looks at third, I mean, because she, she's so quick, like she's making plays on bunt plays to the right of the circle, you know, and and, and she gets there, she has really impressed me with how smooth she looks at third base.
7: Yeah, she's uh, she's really becoming a lot more comfortable there, and you know, you can play Maddie and Alcia, you can play her at third. There's a lot of different things Coach Glasgow can do with the lineup, and you know, you talk about Maddie offensively. You were in Baton Rouge on Saturday, and she had some tough luck at bats. She she had some at-bats where she really squared up some balls and just hit the ball line drives. You know, I remember one time she hit the ball uh, deep to center field against the wall, and the center fielder was able to make the play. And So she had some tough luck at bats over the weekend, and some of those line drives are going to start falling for Maddie, and she's going to be – you know, I really like her in the two-hole and uh, I think she's going to be productive for the Cajuns offensively. You know, as the season goes goes forward.
1: You know, I, I think Coach Glasgow's you know preseason message of defense first—we got to focus on defense—was was right on par and accurate, and and you and you saw the importance of of what defense can do to you in a close game. Because look, they did a lot. Of bad things uh, defensively that that pro- last year would have certainly cost him the game and probably should have cost him the game yesterday. But the one thing now that, that did happen last night that I don't think has been nearly as big an issue this year is there were some base running mistakes and don't I mean you see all the games I, I don't but it, I, I don't I don't feel like base running has been nearly the topic of of concern or an issue this year as a year ago.
7: It was more, you know. Last night was probably the. Uh, it was more of an issue in the game last night, probably than any other game this season. And I mean, Storm is a, uh, you know, she's a veteran. She uh, she made a couple of mistakes on the bases last night that, you know, can really come back to hurt you in a in a run run ball game. You know, um, kind of killed a, a rally early in the game there. And so that's something that needs to be corrected and. Uh, like you said, it hasn't been as much of an issue this season as it has in the past. And uh, that may have to do with uh, Coach Glasgow not being quite as aggressive as he's been in the past years in the running game.
1: I agree. So, Maya Davis, uh, you know, the old cliche in – I guess you'd say baseball, but it applies to softball as well. Is you can't steal first base, so it's going to be very. You know, she's still um, a true freshman at the Division One level who missed what three weeks. You know, and so her, you know, that didn't help her progress, missing all that time with a hand injury. So, you know, we all can see that she can steal. the The, the question is going to be about her: is how often can she get on first base?
7: Yeah, I think she's going to be become more comfortable with the college game and start to realize, you know, in high school and in travel ball, it, every time she tapped the ball to the infield, she, she was safe at first. And, you know, and I'm not exaggerating. And then I think she's starting to understand and and see that, you know, uh, a one-hopper to the shortstop, you're going to be out in the college game. I think the more she uh, become, you know, the more she understands that part of the game, the better she's going to be in her own base percentage. Is going to get better, and I mean, I think Maya Davis is the next first-team All-American for educating softball. And you know, that's just my opinion, but she's really, really good.
1: So, do you see her being more than a slapper?
7: Oh, absolutely. She she's capable of of driving the ball into the gaps, and she does a really good job of hitting the ball right up the middle. Uh, You know, I've seen that in a lot of scrimmages and uh you know, uh, she's she's capable of being, uh, I guess, what they call a power slapper, a kid that can hit the ball in the gaps and, and get some doubles and some triples. And I think that's what we're going to see from Maya uh, as she continues to get more comfortable with the college game. I would
1: think that this weekend – You know, obviously, you know, you haven't even started conference play yet, although conference play is different in softball than a lot of the other sports. But if by the end of this coming weekend, if Jordan Campbell and or Sophie Piscos don't start hitting, I mean, at what point do you say, okay, we might need to change the way you think Coach Glasgow might change some things about his everyday lineup? Not that Sophie's yeah, I, been in it because they hadn't, but.
7: Yeah, I think, I, I think this weekend, you know, I, I'm starting to see Coach Glasgow getting an idea of how he's going to use his roster. And, you know, we've got 14 or 15 kids that can play, and then we've all seen that. And I think he's starting to have a better idea of how he wants to, to use the roster and what roles he wants uh, the kids to have. And I think after this weekend and then, you know, the following weekend in Gainesville, Uh, That's two big weekends, and I think he's gonna, you know, even have an even better idea at that point. And I think the more at bats that a kid like Jordan Campbell and a kid like Sophie Piscos gets, you know, the the, the better chance they have to uh, to start being more productive in the offense. So we'll see how he uh, he chooses to uh, to to fill out his lineup uh, this coming weekend, and you know, we got five games. Uh, a couple of games against Texas and one against McNeese, and then the following weekend, another couple of games against Florida. So I think the next couple of weekends are going to tell a lot of what we're going to see when conference play starts.
1: You know, I didn't watch all the inter-squad scrimmages in January, but but I thought Kanger looked pretty good when, when she pitched over the weekend. And so I, I, just, I just think it would be premature to, to take her out of the rotation totally.
7: And I don't think that's, you know, I don't think that's the plan at this point. Again, uh, she's going to have a, uh, you know, her role is going to be defined and she's going to pitch. She's going to pitch some innings the rest of the season. And she did pitch really well over the weekend. And um, I'm expecting to see Kendra, you know, she may get a start this coming weekend or two and uh, certainly going to add to the depth of the pitching staff when you got, you know, Megan Sharman and. And uh, Sam Landry and Carly Heath and and, and um, Chloe Riocetto has also pitched well when she's uh, had the opportunities, you know. Uh, and then you add Kendra Lamb to the mix, and you've got a really deep pitching staff. And I'm sure Coach Justin Robichill and Coach Glasgow are going to figure out how they want to use all those pitchers, and all those kids are going to help us win a lot of ball games all right, between well- now and May.
1: All right, Bobby. One question before we let you go: Would you consider yourself someone who likes or very, very, very much dislikes miss free throws and miss field goals?
7: Well, I, I much I definitely dislike both of them. Now, the one thing I don't uh, maybe a hundred percent agree with you is that kicking field goals is easy. I, I mean, I've never kicked one, but. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I can agree with you that kicking field goals is easy. Now, free throws, you know, I I think if kids work on free throws, they can be good free throw shooters, you know. Uh, But every time I walk in the gym, I see kids shooting 3 pointers and they're not shooting free throws. So that's a big part of the game that I think they need to work on, and it just doesn't seem like they're very interested in doing that anymore. So I don't know. That's just what I see.
1: I don't I don't like either one. I can just tell you that much right now. We appreciate your time. Okay,
7: so how can you say what? I don't understand how you can say that kicking a field goal is easy. Oh, it's easy. <laughs> well, okay. We can agree to disagree on <laughs> okay,
0: that. Okay,
3: okay. All right. Thank you, Bob. All right, Kevin. Talk to you soon. <laughs>
0: This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Medicine season. Medicine season. Now. A season in which a college or professional sports team suffers a disappointing season due to injuries or fluky incidents. Also known as paying the piper. Now back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and footnotes. On the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. He, once again, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. If you would like to get in, talk about baseball, softball. Again, LSU, big baseball game tonight at Dish Falk against the Longhorns. We'll see what happens at that one. The Cajuns will be going over to Lake Charles to play McNeese. Normally a very interesting contest. We'll see if the Cajuns can keep hitting. We'll see a Brendan Moody who, you know, has pitched very well, both in relief and as a starter so far this season, whether he can continue to take another huge steps to being, you know, maybe even that Friday night starter once Sunbelt Conference play begins. So lots on the line. We'll see – We'll see, um, you know what, what what happens there. So lots of to potentially discuss here. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello.
4: Good morning, Mister Foot. Good morning, sir. How are you? Terrible, but that's you know you don't want to hear about it. I'm frustrated. I mean, if you have to spend forty minutes trying to get into a radio show, that that's that seems like a little seems excessive to me. But that's okay. That's not why I call. All right, that does seem excessive to me. Anyway, uh, did I hear you previously say that LSU struggles with the University of Texas? Was that what you said?
1: Uh, historically, they've had some issues with Texas. Yeah, and they've they've lost some games recently to them. I'm talking uh, about compared to like everybody else. Like you know it's it you know that. It is, you know, I don't know. I would think that's a very short list of of, uh, any programs that have had any success against LSU in baseball.
4: Well, I guess I would agree with you that historically, maybe LSU's record versus the University of Texas is not that good. But the last four times they met in the College World Series in 2000, LSU smashed Texas' face in uh, in the first game of the College World Series that they played them. And in 2009, LSU beat the University of Texas two out of three to win the national championship. So, you know, you are correct that LSU's all-time record versus the University of Texas is not that good, but the last four times they played at the College World Series, LSU's record is 3-1. and
1: But, I mean, like the last four the last five times they've met Texas is one.
4: So, I mean, yeah, you're right that they... The, um, the last four or five times when they met, like, from since 2009 to 2023.
1: Right. Well, the la- I don't know what years they were. Um, but when I looked it I mean, up, Texas is 28-13-1 and one overall, and they've won four of the last
4: five meetings. Well, you know, I, I agree. Like I said, I agree that they don't have a good historical record but you know i found one game after 2009 but hey maybe in the regular season maybe university of texas is way better than lsu but in the college world series lsu has done better you know has has seemed to have success versus the university of texas i got you okay all uh, right mr foot thank you all right all right bye bye
1: um no, again, that you know, obviously, World Series, College World Series games are more important than regular season games. I'm just saying, um, there's not that many programs that LSU you know can say they've ever beaten LSU four out of the last five or anything like that. I, you know, they're just a, it's just a, Texas has always been strange to me because most time, not every year, but most years that they're really good, it's it's about pitching, like they they don't ever seem to have like this really dynamic offense or anything near what like LSU has this year, which is a, a really dynamic offense. So we'll see how, um, and you know, if you're playing someone early in the season, then if you're more of a pitching team, I think I, 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 you know, not every game cause look there, we've had, we've seen some, and LSU got 20 some hits Saturday. So obviously they're not struggling offensively, but a lot of times early in the year uh, pitching is a little better than the hitting doesn't always work out that way and I mean it's a million exceptions either way you go. I get that but um, a team like Texas might win some games early on against someone because their pitchings better than the other team's hitting them but once it heat especially if the weather's kind of cold, but once you heat up then it can become different. So no I just thought it was an interesting matchup. Uh, LSU has a losing record in games at Dish Most teams in the country probably do. It's not like it's a big deal. It's just an interesting matchup and see where where, where it where, where it ends up um, tonight when they play um, in in Austin. And again, the Cajuns play McNeese in Lake Charles. So the two teams we talk about most college baseball heading west, and we'll we'll see how. how of course, LSU was already in Texas. We'll see how, how that plays out. Something I want to make. Look, I'm not a big, you know, awards. And I i just, I'm very anti-awards. And I, I think most, almost all awards, it, it, it's either silliness or very, or bordering silliness. And one of the things that I don't, the, the trends we have, especially game awards, I mean, those are the worst. But one of the things I don't like is, Like yesterday, the Sunbelt Conference named a Defensive Player of the Year. Well, you know, the Defensive Player of the Year is largely, at least in the Sunbelt Conference, and, 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 you know, have I studied all these leagues across the league country? No. But this idea that the default, it's almost like the default Defensive Player of the Year is the team with the center who blocks a lot of shots. But, I mean, I guess that could mean in in a lot of cases that could be the quote-unquote best defensive player. But how often is the best defensive player really the guy who's the center or the lady who's the center who's blocking a lot of shots? Like, I guess that could be. I mean, it's important to have a rim protector. I'm not arguing that, but to me, usually – the best defender is the person who can guard the shooting guard most of the, the other team's best scorer most of the time or the small forward who's a dynamic scorer and who is is a better defender than just the seven-footer who sits in the middle and blocks shots. You know, I, I don't I, – shot blocking is important and rim protecting is important. But to me, more than not – the. I just kind of roll my eyes when I see that when the when the defensive player of the year is the tall person who um, that blocks a lot of shots.
2: Yeah, and I would agree with you. And the history of the award, as far as I can tell, the Sun Belt either either they haven't named one before this or Sports Reference just doesn't have it. But the first time in 2018, 19, it was Jakeen and Gant. Same situation. Then it was Ruat Young from Little Rock, who was another big guy in the middle. Then it was Theo Akuba from UL, another. Yeah, just, and then it was Norchad Omir last year, same thing, yeah. Like, I, I think uh, Malik Wilson's freshman year, he could have been the defensive player of the year. He was outstanding defensive guard that year. But, again, yeah, you're right. And then the only time it's going to go to a guard is if they average some ridiculous number of steals per game. Because it's all about, it's just like box, that num- you know, box score numbers. You can't put it into a metric how good a defensive player is as a forward as easily as you can a guy who blocks shots.
1: Yeah, I, I think like most awards, it's mostly silliness. And and, and the other thing that – and it's difficult because, like, I guess some people now you have the ability to watch a bunch of games, but for the first, you know, whatever until very recently, you pretty much watched who your team that you covered played. I mean, that's who you'll watch. And, and even – and now, and coaches are voting on a lot of these awards. So on, on, the, in the, in the, on the teams where the coaches are voting, theoretically, they know more. But even them, they largely do, what did that guy do against me? I mean, they, they scout, and so they see other games. But usually it's the assistant coaches that are doing most of the scouting. And I don't know. I just think it's silly. But I think giving this Defensive Player of the Year Award to centers by default is just another example of awards silliness to me. We'll take a timeout and be back.
0: This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you ever wonder what kind of coach Foot would have been? When they hit it to you and you're in the major leagues, you catch the ball. That's the way that works. Yeah. He may be better suited for talking sports than coaching them. Back to Footnotes. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Welcome back to Footnotes, coming foot on the game. Again, if we have a few minutes if you would like to get in, the game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. So, judging by that last promo, we don't like miss field goals. I mean, we don't dislike miss field goals and or miss free throws. And we're okay with guys dropping the ball in the major leagues when they hit it to them. I don't like any of those things.
2: Yeah, I'm not a fan of any of them. Yeah, like I said, I don't, I don't know. You know, you find me the guy who likes missed free throws. Yeah, I think I'd some like people don't worry about it. I, yeah, I, there's definitely some people who who value it more. There's some people. There's some coaches who seem to be of the opinion that it happens. You know, well, that's going to happen, and I mean, it does happen. And but I think especially at the college level. You know, once you get past the high school level and you're now, you know, playing this game at a pretty high level, it does confuse me when guys can't make at least 65, you know, 60, 65 percent, at least as guards. I get big men. It's tougher. And I don't know what that is. You know, I guess it's just as you're that much bigger, the coordination tends to be less. I don't
1: shoot a tennis ball. It's, you're not going to have the control of a tennis ball.
2: It's crazy to me, though, guys who shoot an extremely high percentage from the floor. and then you, you've seen now sometimes guys who are pretty good three point shooters and maybe that's, you know what Mr. Bobby had to say. Guys practice three point shooting more because it's more fun and they want to make outside shots. But then you sometimes you'll have guys who are like, you know, thirty five forty percent three point shooters and they're like fifty five percent free throw shooters and you're like, well, that doesn't really add up. If you're that good of a shooter, you should be able to make the ones without defenders in front of you.
1: Yes. It's frustrating to um, to me. I, I can remember back in the 80s, the Cages had an inside player named Randall Smith, and he was not anywhere near the talented scorer that Jordan Brown is, but he was a pretty talent. you know, he was a good inside player – and 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 he had got he was not good a free throw shooter and he would experiment with all kind of like he would get to where he would kind of start off like almost like he was accepting a pass, not really accepting a pass, but like he was going through the motions of accepting a pass, turn and then shooting. So I mean, I've seen people try some really kind of crazy, bizarre things. Um, and well. Have you seen almost kinda of like Morgan Innsberg in the box, you know, in two thousand five where he was changing his stance every other at bat, it seemed like.
2: Have you seen um is it named his Sohan, the rookie for the Spurs? He started shooting one-handed free throws. He's been like eighty percent since then. Again, whatever whatever it takes, it you know, I'm
1: surprised that there are more people that don't shoot a little closer to the corner of the free throw line. Like instead of right in the middle. Because some people like Go, again, going back to the 80s, Graylin Warner, who was actually a pretty good free throw shooter, but his jump shot from the corner of the free throw line was kind of his his thing. So I'm surprised there aren't more people who don't go a little bit away from the middle uh, of the free throw line. But 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 how, again, I, I think there's a big difference between guards and, and big inside players. I agree with you.
2: Yeah, and then an, and another thing that that's kind of surprising to me is why you don't see guys who are, like, once you're clearly a bad free throw shooter, like, and we've seen some both on the women's and men's side that have come through the Cajun Dome, whether UL players or other, that have been like in the 20 and 30% range. Like, why are those people not trying to develop, you know, whether it's the underhand Rick Barry style or the one handed thing? Like, and maybe they're working on it in practice and, and they're just not they're just as bad. Yeah, they're that not way. pulling the trigger. But, well, <laughs> Co- Coach Broadhead, I suggested that Kyra Wren
1: try underhand, and he claims they tried it in practice and she missed. She missed them both ways. She she couldn't do it at all. She just, I mean, I I don't I don't I don't know. I'm just saying I don't. I, I'm concerned. It would be a shame to do so many things well and lose a game because you can't make free throws down the stretch. Which we've seen it like you know the Nick Anderson examples and stuff. You know in the history of in you know, in sports, it's just so important free throw shooting.
2: The good news for the Cajuns in this tournament atmosphere is something we saw against South Alabama. While Brown struggles, other than him, though, and, I mean, theme is for a while, but now he's been really solid. But you saw Jalen Dalcourt go, at 8-for-8 down the stretch, and Garnett and Fulks, and Terrence Lewis is a great free-throw shooter. And I feel like teams in the past that they've had, like you remember Malik Wilson struggled. There was more than just the big man who struggled. This team outside of Brown... So if they get in a situation where they're up and they're the ones choosing who's shooting the free throws, they're going to be fine. It's just, again, if you're in a situation where maybe you're trailing or up close and you're trying to work your offense through Brown and teams choose to foul him, which they probably will, yeah. that's when you could be in trouble. I
1: I, I, th- I think that's fair. But again, it the guy who you want to get the ball... Of course, if you're in a, like to your point, if you're in a I'm up five or six or seven points in the last couple minutes then probably Jordan will not get the ball very often, and you're going to have the ball in the hands of guards who theoretically should be able to knock down most of them. So that, that, that's a fair point.
2: And not only that, Marlin, Coach Marlon showed us against South Alabama, Brown probably won't even be out there. Like he, he put him on the bench and said, we're not even going to give him a chance to be the one shooting free throws.
1: All of that is fair. We'll see what happens, and hopefully Coach Marlin's right, and it doesn't mean anything, but it's just scary on this side of the fence. Y'all have a nice day.